Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. Have you ever wondered why people who may not know the gospel of good news, but have a clear sense of morality and what's right and what's wrong? Well, the Bible says that's because the law is written on our hearts. Everyone was created with this awareness. And God knows we can't perfectly follow His law, but we need to know what the law is all about and what it's for exactly, because without it, we won't run to the gospel of good news. Let's continue our series now called Sons of Abraham in a lesson called The Purpose of the Law to Reveal Our Sin, Part 2. Part of the sanctification process is God changing our thinking and our mind about our understanding about God, right? Our understanding, Paul says in Ephesians, is darkened. It is not perfect. A person who obeys the first commandment has a perfect knowledge of God. They only trust in God alone for everything. They only submit to God with perfect humility and perfect patience. When they are going through trials, when they are going through hardship, when they have children that are very trying to them, they never once become impatient with God. God, what are you doing here? What's going on with this? They never question God. They never, ever turn their back on God. It's exactly what Jesus did. I'm going to hop ahead to next week. It was exactly what Jesus did when he was being persecuted. Peter says to the believers in Asia, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten. But you know what he did? Peter says he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He was keeping the first commandment. He was loving God perfectly. He was saying, God, regardless of these outward circumstances that seem to contradict your love for me, I entrust myself with all humility and patience in the midst of this great suffering. Not my will, but your will be done. As he bled sweat, as he, as he sweated drops of blood as he prayed that. Unbelievable love for his father. And so he submitted with all humility, all patience. He expected only good from his father. And so he loved, feared, and honored his father with his whole heart. That is an example of a person who is a perfect lover of God. And that's just one commandment. That's just one. There are hundreds. Look at your life. Are you a perfect lover of God based on that one commandment? <laughs> Let's look at the sixth commandment for a minute. What does it look like to love other people? What is a perfectly loving person like to be around? Because, you know, obviously we all want to be around people who love us, right? How many of you enjoy being around people who just don't love you? What is your natural inclination to be around people who are difficult towards you? There is no intimacy whatsoever, is there? It's like you flip the magnets around, and instead of pulling you together, you have the opposite polarity, and it just pushes you apart and keeps you apart. So what does a loving person look like? This is the sixth commandment. What does God forbid and require when He commands this? You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Listen again to this summary from the Heidelberg Catechism. It goes like this. God forbids in the Sixth Commandment for us to dishonor. Remember the, Paul says, honor your mother and father? That's the Sixth Commandment. 
The sixth commandment tells you do not dishonor, do not hate, injure, or kill your neighbor by your thoughts, words, gestures, or deeds, whether personally or through someone else. Do you know how many people get pleasure through a person's failure when another person hurts them? You know how bad that is? You know how wonderful it is? You know how bad it is when, when people like Tiger Woods, we see what he gets into and he fails and he falls in our culture and we look at that and people sit back and take pleasure in that as these mistresses now come out to ruin his life. It's exactly what the Sixth Commandment says. Do not do. We do not take pleasure when people don't succeed. Do you know what it is like to succeed and to have a person jealous of you and seek to destroy your life through slander and gossip? That is exactly what the Sixth Commandment says don't do. The Sixth Commandment forbids all envy, hatred, anger, desire for revenge, and it instructs us not to harm or recklessly endanger ourselves. On the flip side, the Sixth Commandment requires this. The Sixth Commandment, when it says you shall not murder, what it's really saying to you is this. You are to love your neighbor as yourself, what Jesus said in Matthew 22. What does that look like? You always show patience. Most of you in here are married. A couple of you are not. Maybe you have a girlfriend. You know what it's like to become impatient with your spouse. (laughs) And to just go off occasionally. That's what the Sixth Commandment says. Don't do that. I require you to be persistently and continually and always in thought, word, gesture, deed, and imagination patient toward your spouse. And if you're like that, you're a perfectly loving person. You're to always seek peace, gentleness, and mercy, and friendliness towards your neighbor. You're to show them those things. You are to do everything you can in your power to protect your neighbor from harm as much as is possible. That's why we don't agree with abortion. This is not a political statement this morning. And this is not to say that anybody who's ever had an abortion can't be forgiven because they can. That's the good news of the Gospel. There's no condemnation. But we must do everything we can possibly do to protect the elderly. Protect the crippled. Protect quadriplegics. Protect the the down and out and the hurting. Why? Because that's what God commands us to do. Why? Because spiritually speaking, every single person in this world is a spiritual quadriplegic. In fact, you're worse than that. You know what you are? You're a dead body in a morgue waiting for God to come resurrect you, which is what the Bible is going to teach us next week through the resurrection. Desperately hopeless case. And Jesus came and protected you from harm because He took it all Himself. And then Jesus says the Sixth Commandment in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, guys, you've heard it said, but I say to you, in other words, you've thought this is what the commandment meant. Let me tell you what it means. I'm God. I wrote it. (laughs) This is what it meant. You're to always love your enemies. Do you know how hard it is to love somebody who hurts you deeply? That's just impossible. 
apart from the Holy Spirit and the Gospel? Impossible. Where do you find such a loving person? Listen to Ecclesiastes 7.20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. You know what the Bible's saying? There's not a single person on earth who's perfectly loving. You've never seen a perfectly loving person ever. Not from your pastor. Not from your Bible school teacher. Your Sunday school teacher. Nobody. Nobody's ever been perfectly loving. Listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 15, verse 10 about the yoke of the law. He says, the law was such a burden that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. It was just like this humongous, heavy chain wrapped around your shoulders and neck, keeping you from moving, weighing you down so heavily you were just bowed down. Peter says it's been such a burden we can't bear it. So where do you find a perfectly loving person? Where do you look? Guess what? The Gospel. Jesus. That's where you see it. Jesus was the only perfectly loving, righteous man who has ever lived. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 29 about how Jesus loved His Father. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You know what I always do? Daily? The things that are not pleasing to God? Just ask my kids. I'm sure they'll freely give up some embarrassing information. (laughs) Jesus always did the things that were pleasing to His Father. What about loving people? Listen to John 13, verse 1. Having loved His own who are in the world, He loved them to the end. You know how helpful that is? Jesus said what? Before He ascended, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what He's saying? I'll love you perfectly forever. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm going to come back. John 14. I'm going to love you perfectly. It won't won't end. Amazing love. Jesus was the embodiment and the fulfillment of all the commandments of Scripture. Everything the Scripture ever said to do or not do, you look at Jesus and He shows you what you are supposed to look like. Here's the third part of the law. The law promises life upon the condition of perfect, perpetual obedience. And it threatens cursing for disobedience. You see that in the garden. It's what God told Adam and Eve. Eat of any tree in this garden you want to. Anyone. Just this one. Don't eat that. And if you eat this one, you will die. And if you don't eat this one and you continue in your state of innocence in your probation period and you keep all these laws, then I'll justify you. Well, they didn't do that. They fell. They broke it. And so what did God threaten them with? Death. He says, the day you eat of this, you shall surely die. And what did they do? They, sh- they surely died. They died. They died spiritually and they died physically. And all of creation... All of creation, the stars, the moon, the planets, the grass, the seas, the oceans, everything was destroyed, messed up, marred, ruined. Listen carefully to this. The promises in the law operate differently than the promises of the Gospel. We'll come to the promises of the Gospel next Sunday. 
How do the promises of the law operate? This is very simple. You can summarize the whole law like this. Do this and live. Do this and live. Secondly, if you don't do this, die. The law promises life upon perfect obedience and it threatens death for disobedience. If you obey perfectly, you'll live. If you don't obey perfectly, you will die. That's the law. After the fall, God's law remained in force. And because God's law remained in force after the fall, all men remained, listen, obligated to submit to the sovereign rule of God. They didn't have choice. But as a result of the fall, remember, man lost his ability to obey, right? He was fallen. He was cursed. But he retained the ability to disobey. And that is why Paul, when you come to Galatians, says, by works of the law, no man will ever be declared right with God. Why? Because man cannot keep it anymore. He cannot keep it. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The, the mind, the heart that is fallen is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, listen, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember what Jesus says? I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. If you're fallen in the flesh apart from Christ, you cannot please God. You cannot do it. In fact, it says you don't even want to do it because you are hostile to God. God says, love me. And you say, thank you very much. I'll love myself. I don't want to love you. You are not perfect. I am perfect. And because of this inability and hostility, this is what the law does. It just simply serves to reveal your sin and issue a sentence of guilty and condemnation. And so the purpose of the law, listen carefully, the purpose of the law is not to give life. It is not to make you good. It is not intended to lead you to obtain mercy from God because you have earned it. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why? Because through the law comes a knowledge of sin. The law simply makes you understand your sin. That's all it does. It is like a mirror when you wake up in the morning and you look at the blemishes on your face so you ladies quickly fix those blemishes. You hide them up. And guys, I'm not sure what you do. <laughs> but you see them. And what the law does is a mirror and it shows you every single blemish that you have. It gives you the knowledge of sin. And when it gives you the knowledge of your sin, it doesn't generate any power for you to do anything about it. No power whatsoever. And so what it does is it convicts and it declares you eternally cursed. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, which we'll come to. 
This is the major proposition. This is the voice of the law right here. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's the voice of the law. That is the voice of the law. That is not good news. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Jesus said, you must love God perfectly and you must love other people perfectly. We looked at the first and the sixth commandment. Cursed be everyone who does not keep the first and the sixth commandment and do them. If you do not do that, you're cursed. But here's beginning now to get the good news. The law serves the interests of the Gospel. How? Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Paul says, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture, which is the law, imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Do you know what Paul's saying there? Listen, this is what Paul's saying. The law makes a convicted, guilty heart thirsty for Christ. That's what the law does. You don't look at the law and get your best life now. You look at the law and the law shows you your worst life now. In fact, it continually shows it to you to the point where it is to beat you down so much that you finally cry out, I give up. What is the remedy? Help. And listen to what a thirsty soul does. Jesus said this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. The law makes a person so convicted that they get thirsty for the remedy and then Jesus appears to them and says, are you thirsty? Come. Come and drink. He does not turn a guilt-laden sinner away. And so this is good news, not from the law, but from the Gospel. And so the law, listen to what Augustine said, the usefulness of the law lies in this, in convicting man of his infirmity and moving him to call upon the remedy of grace which is in Christ. Again, he says this, the law was given for this purpose to make you being great little. To make you being great little. And to show you that you do not have in yourself the strength to attain righteousness and for you thus helpless, unworthy, and destitute to flee to grace. That's what Paul says later in Galatians chapter 3. The law was a strict disciplinarian to lead me to Christ. So what have we learned this morning about the law? Not good news for sure. This is what we've learned. Because of sin, man in his fallen state no longer possesses the ability to obey what God has commanded. Therefore, the law's promise is no longer attainable. And the law's curse is issued. You're guilty. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
That's why Paul says over and over in Galatians and Romans, you can't get right with God by doing and performing, but by trusting in Jesus who did and performed for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, the law is a ministry of death. Do you know what the ministry of life is? It's the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says that the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who comes and gives you life. This is what happens as we wrap this up. By nature and by revelation, which is Scripture, you hear the voice of the law saying to you daily, you're cursed. You haven't done everything you're supposed to do on the law. You're cursed. You're cursed. And then your conscience on top of the voice of the law says, you've blown it. You're guilty. You blew it. You're guilty. You're guilty. And that's all you're hearing. And the only conclusion you come to is the law says, if I'm guilty, then I'm cursed. I must be a cursed person. And then you walk through your whole life just trudging through the mud and muck and mire of guilt. Because you haven't come to understand and listen to the consolation of the Gospel. Because the law is never, it was never intended to leave you in utter despair. Paul says that Christ, in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness. When you come to the end of it and the law has beat you down and you go, I'm guilty. I am. I'm not good. I am not a perfectly loving person. I don't love God perfectly. I don't love people perfectly. I don't love my wife perfectly. I don't love my coworkers perfectly. I don't love my children perfectly. I am just a wreck. Paul says that Christ is standing at the end of that. And he says to you, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will not turn you back. And that's where the Gospel comes in. This is what John Calvin says. He says, for God's mercy is revealed in Christ to all who seek and wait upon it with true faith. In the precepts of the law, God is the rewarder of perfect righteousness which all of us lack. And conversely, the severe judge of evil deeds. But in Christ, His face shines full of grace and gentleness even upon us poor and unworthy sinners. That is such good news. That is such good news. And when you begin to listen on that, that begins to make your heart happy. And it begins for the first time for you to see Jesus not as your judge, but as your friend and Savior who does not condemn. And you begin to look at people differently because you see that they don't have the joy that you have. They don't know the good news that you have and you want them to have it. And so here's the the application as we finish. Because Christ is the end of the law. When you hear as a believer, when you hear the law read, when you feel its crushing weight upon you, which is a good, healthy thing, 
you are not to think as a believer who is united to Christ that that condemning, crushing weight belongs to you anymore. Is that good news? Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you look at the whole law that condemns, and he said, the law doesn't condemn you anymore. It's not there. This is the best way to say it. The curse of the law, the condemnation of the law, no more belongs to the believer than a terrorist belongs in the Oval Office. Just doesn't belong there anymore. Why? Because as you're going to see next week, Jesus became the curse for you and took your condemnation. And so because of this good news, you could remove all fear of judgment, all fear of condemnation, all fear of being cursed, and continually set before your eyes this Gospel which announces joyful good news and gives you the comforting promises of God, the forgiveness of sin, grace, redemption, freedom forever. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Purpose of the Law to Reveal Our Sin, Part 2. More from the Sons of Abraham series is coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.